live in polarizing times. What? That is brand new information. Uh, the notion of diversity isn't just, uh, is if it's not even close to being celebrated, right? It's barely even tolerated. Uh, we have presidential debates that look like my kids arguing over Legos. Tell me I'm wrong. We have massive shifts in the dialogue about racial justice. We have increasing effectiveness in people uh, being digitally fed the narrative they want to believe regardless of how that corresponds with reality. The echo chambers of our social media feed are forming disciples of products, news outlets, and idealized photoshopped lives, but not Jesus. Welcome to Missio. We're glad you're here. Our hope over the next few weeks as we start a new teaching series called Kingdom Come is that we together look at pictures of Jesus' kingdom and his church to say, how is it that we should be formed together as followers of Jesus in the midst of these times, these moments that God has given us to be his church? That's the invitation, and we're really glad you're here. A neuroscience would tell us that over time, uh, something called memory burn occurs by extreme highs or extreme lows, and the middle parts of an experience tend to fade away in the memory system. Like, we remember the really high points and the really low points after a certain amount of time. It also tells us that these highs and lows can be manipulated uh, later on by the stories we tell. And so that's why some of your memories when you were a kid, you thought they were amazing. And then you ask your parents out about them. They're like, that was the worst vacation ever. We just took one picture and told you it was good for your whole life. Uh, that's why Disney uh, tries to have a few massively impressive experiences that trick you into forgetting that you actually waited in line for two and a half hours in the blazing sun eating a $17 churro to ride a ride for 19 seconds because they made the 19 seconds that amazing. Tell me I'm wrong. You tell stories of the highs and seemingly everyone forgets just how much it might have been miserable in the middle of it. Uh, what shapes us is what we experience most deeply and what we reinforce over time by telling stories about it. And I don't think that's by mistake. I think God wired us that way. That's why he does these mighty things in history. And then he tells his people, hey, remember to tell this story over and over and over again so that you remember this is who I am. This is what my world looks like. This is how things really are because you are going to be faced with a million other stories telling you a million other interpretations of the world you live in. And we experience that because if you're honest, sometimes we wrestle through and say, is the kingdom of God really here? Like in the face of so much pain and sadness and sickness and suffering and loneliness and abuse and disease and death, is it really true that God reigns supreme and Jesus is on his throne and it's only a sting of death left because Jesus resurrected. Is that really true? It's a fair question to ask and it's one that we have to wrestle with. Is the kingdom really here? 
the good news of the kingdom, I would argue, is what needs to shape our reality more than the translations of events that we hear from news sources, family folklore, and Insta stories. But only if it's really true. We need to wrestle with that. Is what we're setting out to do really a part of his kingdom agenda, or is it our own desires that we've taped on to the front cover of our Bibles? And here's what I'm suggesting. Uh, No, it's probably a little bit bolder than that. I'm stating that if we continually enter the story, continually reimagine, continually live as if God's kingdom is really here, then we'll begin to see more and more of it breaking in because it's everywhere. It's happening. Jesus really did live. He really did die. He really did resurrect. He really did send his spirit. And because of that, the kingdom is breaking through in a million different ways. We might just overlook it. Uh, Jesus is very clear in that he says that the kingdom is here. And it doesn't just begin one day in the future somewhere out there. According to Jesus, it's here right now, and it changes everything. Imagine what it would look like if a community was so gripped by the good news of the kingdom that they lived everyday life as if it were true. Now, this guy named Gordon Spikeman, who has an amazing name, uh, says this. He says, nothing matters but the kingdom. But because of the kingdom, everything matters. Uh, Because God is king and Lord over the entirety of creation, that everything matters in this life. There's redemptive value. We need to be actively looking for the way that the kingdom is breaking in and finding that good news and celebrating when we see it. Nothing matters but the kingdom. But because of the kingdom, everything matters. But in the famous words of a theologian, uh, LeVar Burton, in the widely acclaimed show Reading Rainbow, you guys remember that? Yep. Uh, You don't have to take my word for it. We're going to dig into it ourselves. So would you guys pray with me? And then we're going to be in Mark chapter 1 as we look at this. Uh, Jesus, we thank you that you meet with us. We thank you that you are present. We thank you that you are a risen king. Uh, Jesus, we come into this place with heaviness. Uh, Some of us with some skepticism or some cynicism, whether or not we want it, it's there. And so we just say it's there. Uh, Jesus, we uh, long to see your kingdom break in and melt our hearts and break down walls in our cities and our country and our world. Uh, God, we long to see your healing power show up in even more prolific ways than what we've seen in our lives so far but we wanna have our faith be in you, not just in what you can do. And so we ask that you would meet us in this place, this place of questioning, this place of wondering, this place of trying to figure out what exactly it means that you set up your kingdom in our midst and invite us to take up our role in that. We love you and are so glad you're here with us. We ask this in Jesus' name and in the power of his spirit, amen. If you've got a Bible, you can feel free to go ahead and open it. Um, And if you don't have it, I love you enough to put it on the screen for you. So, uh, but you can't write on my screen and you can write in your Bible if you see something you love. So go ahead and open it up. Mark chapter one, and uh, we'll start in verse 14. And there's two main points we're gonna look at today. First, a proclamation and then an invitation. And those are the words of Jesus. So he says this, uh, Mark writes, after John was put in prison, that was Jesus' cousin John, uh, the wild man out in the wilderness, right? He got put in prison. So after he was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. 
And Jesus walked along with the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. So it makes sense they were casting nets in the lake. They weren't just weirdos. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. Uh, we could just stop right there. Uh, first of all, the declaration. The declaration, good news, the kingdom is here. Good news, the kingdom is here. And the way John writes it down is he just kind of skips on from there, right? Like we're thinking as we read this, that's kind of a big deal. Jesus' first words, the first thing we see in red in his gospel, maybe he should take a little bit of time and break out what he means, right? Like it, it's cool that you said, repent, the good news of God, the kingdom is near. What is that? But he doesn't stop. He doesn't give us a, a brief excursus on the topic he doesn't chop it up a little bit more. He just drops it in there. And it's like if you're watching Star Wars as I am, having never seen more than part of one episode. Sorry, I still love Jesus. We can be friends, right? Diversity. Uh, but you hear the words like, Luke, I am your father. And everybody else is like, oh, and I'm like, why is the guy with the black bucket on his head saying he's his dad? Like, I don't get it. Like, I haven't seen the rest of the movies. I don't know what took place. Smoke too many cigars, can't quite talk. I don't know. Like lots of things could be happening. And so when you hear this word in, 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 as Mark writes it down, you're wondering like, all right, what does this mean? Does this mean the kingdoms are here and the, the armies are coming marching in next chapter? Like it's a military takeover time. Bring it, gear up, bow up. It's time to roll. Is it time for me to find my way to heaven? Is it time for us to come out of hiding in the hills? Is God going to reward us for our right behavior finally? Do we get teleported to another dimension? I don't know. What does it mean that this kingdom is here? Mark seems to assume that everybody knows. This is a massive declaration, but I'm just going to say it because you know what it means. And in order to get that, we have to go back just a little bit. So if you're taking notes, jot down Isaiah 52. Because Isaiah 52, there's this beautiful poem that's written. God's people have just been exiled. They've just been cast out of their promised land, right? They're no longer in Jerusalem. It's fallen. And the prophet Isaiah writes these words to those people. He says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God still reigns. See, when they heard the kingdom of God was finally here, their minds would automatically go back to the episodes in the story that had already happened. They're not coming into this fresh. As a people, they had been waiting for the day when God would return to bring his Savior to make everything right. They were looking forward to a Christ, a Messiah, to show up and bring peace and justice and healing and reconciliation to a war-torn, oppressed world world. So Jesus' declaration is, I'm here and I'm bringing that kingdom. Repent and believe this good news. And this was the, the word for good news that they would use in any setting. Like this word good news was not a magical spiritual word for them. It was a word that literally just meant good news. Like you'd be like, good news, uh, tacos are 99 cents today. You'd be like, good news, my son was born healthy. Good news, the Lakers are probably winning game three right now. Good news, it's just normal. You guys can say amen to that, that's all right. Um, good news, it wasn't packed with all this religious jargon and shoved down in there where they're like, ah, that's theology term. 
They were just thinking, man, this is some of the best news possible, like good news, a victory has been won, and you don't have to run out of your hometown because your king won. Good news. And Jesus steps on the scene announcing with power, good news, the kingdom of God is here. This kingdom is going to be what we look at as we study over the next few weeks. Because if it's true that the kingdom has actually broken in, then it changes everything for us. It changes everything. And so just for uh, the sake of nerding out for just a second, uh, if you guys want to track with this. So they had an idea that the old and the new was going to take place. And so old, new. Pretend that's a circle. Um, the old and the new. And so the old age was the age where sin reigned and there was pain and there was sorrow and sadness and disease and death. And then they knew that the Messiah was going to come. And then when the Messiah came, the Savior came, this rescuer came, he was supposed to bring the new. And that was when the Spirit would come and life would come and there would be freedom and so when Jesus shows up and he announces, good news, the kingdom of God is here, they all thought this is what was going to happen. And so what, you, what I'm about to tell you is why everybody was so stinking confused when Jesus started to not do what they thought he would do, was because they had always thought this is the way it would work. The Messiah shows up and then everything gets made right. He'll show up and he'll overthrow Rome. Like, he comes in in power, and he'll toss out those that oppress God's people. Like, he will bring peace, he will bring healing, he will bring restoration, and it will all happen for us because we're God's people, and that will be incredible. But what happens is that, yes, it's good news. Uh, God's justice, reconciliation, redemption is here. The Spirit is going to be poured out. But what it looks like is a lot more like this, and this is what they did not see coming, that the old and the new would overlap with Jesus' death and resurrection. And so we right now live in this, what they call an overlap of the ages, where the old is there, the new has come, and we're not quite at that final down arrow again where Jesus returns to make everything new, but that's breaking into creation right now. And that's what it looks like when his kingdom shows up. That's what it looks like, and it's very different than what they thought. So with this declaration, good news, the kingdom's here, they were anticipating and a little bit uncertain when then that's not what took place, right? When instead of overthrowing the Romans, he made blind people see. When instead of like tossing out the oppressive forces, he threw parties and they drank a ton of wine. Like they're like, wait a, wait a second here. And then when he was murdered on a cross, they were utterly disappointed because he went just the way of anyone else who had ever claimed to be a Messiah until he resurrected and brought brand new. And that's the perspective that we get looking back is to say everything he claimed was true because the resurrection's true. And so we don't have to wonder, are we putting the weight of our life on this thing and it's not really true? Because of the resurrection, we know it is. Uh, N.T. Wright says this, he says, this wasn't, speaking of this proclamation, the good news kingdom of God is here, it wasn't just a new piece of advice or a new political agenda. It wasn't a new type of spirituality. Uh, it might lead to advice, agendas, and certainly prayer, but it was itself something more than all of those. It was the good and extremely dangerous news that the living God was on the move. And he was here, and Jesus was Messiah. It demanded a definite response. After all, 
It was God's good news. So his big declaration, uh, what I want us to see as we set out on this journey of looking at the kingdom come is that the kingdom was here and Jesus was its king. And if that's true, it means that we're all implicated by it, whether or not we bow our knee in allegiance or we bow up in rebellion. Either way, we're still implicated by the story. Uh, it's like a movie, right? So when you go to see a movie, uh, it asks you to do something uh, called suspend reality for a little while. And this is why, uh, do you guys remember when the Fast and the Furious came out? Like you guys were probably like in junior high, I was, or in grade school, but they kept making them so you guys can relate to this. It spans all of our lifetimes. Even you, Ken and Marianne, it was there. Not gonna lie, it was, they've been going forever. Um, and now they have a cartoon for kids. So Netflix, you can keep watching it with your kids now. But uh, when that movie came out, uh, police had an awful time. When it, the premise of it is there's a bunch of guys that race cars and do things that are absolutely impossible, like driving under semis and other stupid stuff that you really can't do if you drive a car, right? Um, but they can. And so when they were driving these race cars, what they did was they had problems because people would watch the movies, mainly uh, teenage boys, right, or, or college-age kids people and then they would leave that parking lot as if they were still in the movie and wreck their car on the way home. The number of car wrecks leaving the Fast and Furious installments in the beginning was massive because people watched that movie, thought their Honda Civic could run the same as the Supra and crashed it into a tree. Because when they entered the movie, they kept on living as if the movie were still true. But what movies usually do is they say, hey, for the next one hour to three and a half, if you're watching Lord of the Rings, will you suspend reality for a little while and enter into this world and act as if this is true just for a little while and then you can go about your life as you normally do, right? That's why you go into Jurassic Park and you don't leave thinking, oh my goodness, a dinosaur might get me. Unless you drive out this road and then there is a dinosaur at the end of the road and it might get you, right? But it's the reason why whether you're watching any TV show, you, you enter into it for just a little while and then you leave it. It doesn't matter if you're watching Star Wars. It doesn't matter if you're watching Friends or you, The Crown, Parks and Rec, The Good Place, or Barney. They all ask you to do the same thing. Act as if this is true, and then you can go about the rest of your life. But the Bible, the story of God, the kingdom of God, this declaration does something very different. Because once it's pronounced and once it takes place, you can't get outside of it if it's true. You're actually a member, a participant of that story, and you can't go about life as if it weren't there. God has stated everything has changed. The kingdom is here. And now we have a question. What do we do with that? Because whether or not we believe it doesn't change that Jesus is king. Whether or not we believe it doesn't change that the kingdom is breaking in. Whether or not we believe it doesn't change that God could actually forgive and heal and rescue us. It's just our ability to receive that means that it's enacted upon us and we get to participate in it. It's true either way. It's kind of like gravity. It's true either way. You can act like it's not true, but it's not going to go well for you. In the same way, this pronouncement is there. Good news. The salvation of the end has come. We won't ever understand our Bible 
unless we understand this kingdom. And we won't understand the kingdom unless we understand the story of what comes before it. It works in itself, where one explains the other. But if we give ourselves over to this good news, we get to participate in what God is doing in the world right now. So what is that good news? And here's the deal. I'm not gonna give you a definition on purpose. Um, Because if I give you a definition, then you memorize the definition, and then you just be like, all right, cool, I got that gospel thing, I'm good to go. And what Jesus does is he says, good news, the kingdom's here, so I'll give you that. It's good news of the kingdom. Uh, It's good news of God. That's another contour, right? The God of the Bible, it's his good news. And so we have to look at him to understand what it's about. But I want to give us contours, and then we're going to look at some stories over the next few weeks to say, all right, I think we get a better understanding of the kingdom because of this story. And that's what the Gospels are. They're stories showing us what it looked like when God set up his kingdom. And we're going to look at it in those contours as we go through the next few weeks. So good news, I'll give you this, Jesus has come. And if you need the big words, it's Christological and it's historical. This is good news about Jesus. A second, good news, Jesus is the promised Messiah and he brought salvation. Again, if you're into the big words, this is soteriological. This is about salvation and rescue and redemption. A good news, Jesus is setting up his kingdom of which there is no end. This is redemptive and it's comprehensive in scope. The good news is good for God's entire creation, for God's people, and for you. We're going to see it doesn't matter how religious you are, you actually still need Jesus. Uh, We're going to see it doesn't matter how irreligious you are, you still need Jesus. And we're going to see it doesn't matter how messed up you are or how badly you've treated others or been treated yourself, but there's still a seat at the table in the kingdom for you. And I think it's this vision of the kingdom as we sit and we soak in it that will be able to have a creative and compelling witness in this world that's so divided right now. It's not gonna come as we tell people, hey, get your act together, start behaving better, and then God will love you. That's not good news. That's actually awful news because you can't get better, right? It's not gonna come when we just say, hey, if you start going to church, then maybe your life will get better because how many of you got better by going to church? None of us. It's not good news. Come memorize these facts. It's good news. Come meet Jesus and he will change you. And that's what we want to check out. And so that was the first one, big point, the declaration, the proclamation, good news, the kingdom is here. Uh, The next part that we're going to look at is the invitation. Just kidding. Get back. The invitation. And the first invitation was in the first set of verses where he said, repent. And what that word basically means is it's just turn from your false agendas and loyalties, turn from the old way of living, and then return to covenant faithfulness with God. He's saying, turn from these old ways that you've been looking at this and turn to a new and fresh loyalty within the kingdom of God. But I love that this next story comes next because you're like, all right, cool. Big news, the kingdom of God's here. Great, what do I do that? Jesus goes walking along the Sea of Galilee, saw Simon and his brother, Andrew, casting a net in the lake because they're fishermen. And he says, come and follow me. And Jesus says, I'll send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and started following him. Don't make the mistake of thinking that these verses are just kind of haphazardly thrown out there. When Mark's writing this story, he's doing it on purpose. 
big news. The entire world is shifting. God is breaking in good news. God is doing something brand new and bringing restoration and healing and peace and hope. Good news. You get to play a role in that. Good news. It moves from observation to participation. Follow me in that story. It means trust me. It means love me. It means believe me. It means learn from me. It means orient your life around me. Hear me clearly. The good news has a name and it's Jesus. And you're invited to be one of those who follow him and experience his kingdom right now. This call of come and follow me is for us as well. Come and follow me. Have your life shaped by the reality of the kingdom. So what's that mean? It means our calendars and our wallet shaped by God's kingdom agenda. What he says matters most begins to trickle down into our budgets and our calendars, how we use our time. Uh, it means our vocation and our vacations, how and what we do for work and what do we do when we recreate all fall under the scope of his kingdom agenda. How and who should I date? How many people should I date at the same time? Any apps I should avoid? Let's go ahead and be honest. That all falls under the kingdom of God and what he's doing. Which trade school do I choose? What major do I choose? How do I practice my creativity? Do I participate in a protest? What apartment in what neighborhood do I choose? Whether we as a family should tithe, and if we tithe, how much should we tithe? God has an agenda that goes over that, that informs what we do with our time, our energy, our money. All of it's his. Do I lead a business to be open on Sunday, or do I practice that same rhythm of rest? You don't get a rule for that in the New Testament. But we get principles from the Bible that says, hey, what does it look like for us to give rest and not be producing 24-7? How do I live out my sexuality? Does God really have a say in that? Does he have a design for that? You better believe it. And it's meant to lead to flourishing, but we can't hold that over here and say, but I go to church and, and I kind of do the Christian thing over here, but you can't touch my sexuality, all right, Jesus? Jesus is like, yo, I made you one whole person, including that, so anything you enjoy about that was my design. And so let's go ahead and work with this the way that I designed it and you will enjoy and flourish as a human. It says easy when I say it from up front, right? It's a lot harder to practice. But the kingdom of God absolutely has implications for that. How do I parent? How do I vote? Are you willing to drop the old way of life with all your expertise and security to follow Jesus as a kingdom ambassador? And hear this, that is what Jesus is saying when he simply looks at these two teenagers on the side of the lake and he says, yo, follow me. And starts walking and they go, yep. Everything I thought I knew, I'm willing to lay down because I think you're worth it and your way of life is worth it. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe this good news and take up your role in his story. Are you in for that? Uh, maybe for the first time you sit here and you say, yes, I'm in. That makes sense and I want to follow Jesus. Welcome to the family. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, maybe it's the 50th time where you're like, yo, I need to hear that again and again and again on a repeat. Because somehow when I put my head down on my pillow at night, it just kind of seeps out. And then I need to get refreshed on it again in the morning and be like, oh yeah, all that's still true today, just like it was yesterday. 
And so you say, yes, I'm in for that again. I want to follow Jesus. I want to live life as if his kingdom were breaking into right now. That follow me comes for you as well. And so the next question for us is to say, will we take up our role in God's story? Uh, For generations past, God's people have always had a choice to make. Do we stay faithful to what we've been called to do or do we choose to take our own way and do our own thing and live outside of God's intentions? And somehow in the great big mystery that is world history, God allows people to do either one. Uh, Not without judgment, not without consequence, but he still gives his people the choice. Will we be faithful to what we've been called to do or not? And so as Missio de Mesa, our hope and our dream and our leaning and our pressing and our desire is that we're people, men, women, and children all the way up who decide that we wanna take seriously the call of Jesus in our life to increasingly submit more and more of our lives to his kingdom agenda. That's what we want to do. That's why we gather here. That's why we have kids getting discipled. That's why some of the adults are discipling the kids so they can raise up in this and maybe avoid some of the easy screw-ups that we gave into because we didn't know better. That's why we sit in this room and we pray over each other and we sing songs and we raise hands and we take communion and we pray and we hear good news spoken over us because we need to be shaped by this. And so I want to leave us with one more question and I'm going to have you go back to those rooms, or not those rooms, but those little smaller groups you were in and answer this question. What does follow me look like this week for you? And you're like, yeah, I I just come here to listen. Like, don't make me answer stuff. Your group can stay quiet, it's okay. Uh, If you're like, hey, I wanna think about that a little bit. Let me chew on that. If you wanna write down in a journal and you're wrestling through and you just wanna put this as a prompt, Uh, but maybe the spirit's been pressing in on something and you're like, man, I would would just want to put this out there. Here's what I'm thinking it looks like for me to follow Jesus this week. Here's some questions I need to ask. Here's some meditating I need to do. Here's a step of obedience that I know is next. What does follow me look like for you this week? That uh, we're going to be ending every service with as we move forward in this series because we really do want to be increasingly shaped by this in obedience. And so some days we'll give it longer, uh, some days we'll give it shorter, but each week we're going to ask this question at the end of it, what does following Jesus look like for you if this is the picture of what his kingdom looks like? And so from now until Advent, which is at the beginning of December, we're going to tell a different story each week that gives a different contour of the kingdom of God. It's not going to be in its entirety where you're going to see absolutely every facet of what it means. You get the rest of your life to figure that out. Oh, that not, that's not going to be covered in one sermon anywhere. But we're going to look at these different contours and say, what does it look like? If this is what God's kingdom's like, what does that mean for my life? And we want to be practical and we want to be personal with how we answer those questions. But that's what's coming in the teachings. And so we'll put it out in the middle of the week. If you want to start soaking in the story ahead of time, you're welcome to do that. We'll teach through the story. And then we'll ask, what does it look like to follow Jesus this week if this is what his kingdom looks like? A second thing that would make you and maybe help to equip you as you live this out is that... uh, drama of skip scripture cohort. And so if you want to be a part of that, that will trace the story of God, the kingdom of God through the entire narrative of scripture. And you'll be able to dialogue about that in a way that you won't be here on a Sunday morning where you can 
chew up some stuff, ask some questions, process, wrestle, um, and then have that conversation around a, a digital table so that we're able to process together and learn and let it go deeper. Because the more we talk about these things, the more that they come to our mind refreshed and the more we actually own them and believe them for ourselves. And then the third thing we're going to do regularly to remind us of our role in God's story is that we're going to be at the table. And so in the back, there's juice back there and there's a loaf of bread that's been broken up and separated out. And the invitation is if you are a follower of Jesus to go back to the table over the next song and take that in remembrance of him. And so I'd invite you to go back, take a a cup of the juice and a piece of the bread and then return to your seat and we'll take communion all together as one family. But as a way of opening up the table tonight, just hear these words spoken over you. Come to the table to be nourished by this meal. Come to this table to be reminded of your rescue Come to the table and find the grace needed for forgiveness. Come to the table and find that you are with sisters and brothers as part of a family. Come to the table and find that hope has a name. It is Jesus, and he deeply loves you. Come to the table and be reminded that there are others who do not yet share this meal because the good news has not yet gone out to them. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you and we're so glad that you gather with us tonight would you remind us as we come and take these elements that we were deeply loved and that's why you died for us and then you rose again and commissioned us out and so we hold these elements as a tangible reminder that the very lives you've given us are meant to live out the kingdom realities in a tangible way Jesus, where we need forgiveness, would you forgive us? Where we need courage, would you give us boldness? Would you give us conviction more today than we had yesterday that the kingdom is actually here and healing, hope, restoration are breaking in through the power of your spirit? Would cynicism not win, but would hope be firmly rooted in you? We ask this in your name, Jesus, and by the power of your spirit. Amen. Uh, The table's open. I invite you to go and receive communion and return to your seat, sing the song, and then we'll take it together as one family in just a moment.